morning. That answers my question as to whether or not this is on. Uh, if you would like to turn to, in your Bible uh, to Luke 24, uh, verses 13 to 35, um, page 1616, 1616, I think. Now, just before this, Peter had uh, gone, gone to the tomb and discovered that ladies were actually correct that Jesus was not there and that the strips of cloth were lying there and so they shared that with, with the other disciples and we read now starting at verse 13 now that same day two of them were going to a village called Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their eyes downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread gave thanks, 
broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven, and those with them assembled together, and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what they had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Thanks be to God. morning. So Phil talked about that race yesterday. Um, There was one thing that happened that I kind of need to confess to a body like this. Uh, About mile 18, I'm feeling kind of cocky, you know, and I'm I'm proud of myself and I'm going along and this is how God works in my life. There's a guy passes me in the last mile and I get that. It's fine. You know, there's guys faster than me. I'm okay with that. And and as this guy passes, I notice he's older than me. And I'm like, I fine, that's okay, there's older guys. Most older guys are better shaped than I am. I get it, that's fine. But this guy had the most beautiful red beard I've ever seen in my whole life. <laughs> like, and I was just like, it's too much, you know. So, anyway. Have you ever noticed that some of the saddest words in the English language begin with the letter D. Disappointment, doubt, disillusionment, defeat, despair, death. All of these are summed up in, in the words of Cleopas and his companion to this stranger who joined them on the road to Emmaus. They had left this dispirited and confused band of disciples with the events of Good Friday still in their memories. And I I get it. I understand what they're feeling, this worry and fear. The master that they had revered, loved, and followed had been horribly put to death, a cruel and most degrading kind of death. Death by crucifixion was the most shameful of deaths. The victim was made this public spectacle exposed to the jeers of all that passed by. But don't you remember just a week ago? One week before on Palm Sunday, the disciples' hopes had risen to this fever pitch, and the excited crowds had gathered, and they waved branches and and their coats, and they had held the Master, this longed-for deliverer, who's going to get rid of the Romans. It's going to end that tyranny. Now that master was dead and sealed in a tomb, and their hopes were dashed, and the dream was over. And they list all these things that Jesus was. He was was Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet. He was mighty in deeds. He was mighty in words. He was loved by the common people, and he was hated by the religious leadership, and he was crucified. The band of Jesus 
followers was leaderless and falling apart. And these two had already pieced out and were headed back home. And the reports that Christ's tomb was empty really didn't change their minds. It only confused them more. See, their entire world had come apart. These two despondent disciples summed up the situation very neatly. We had hoped, oh, we had hoped that he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. Notice the past tense on that. We had hoped. That implies that all the hoping is over. And the saddest death that we can have is that death of hope. They had hoped, but now that flame of hope had been extinguished. So they're walking away from this tragic situation in despair. The bad guys are still in charge. Jerusalem remains in the hands of the unjust and the evil. The promised land is far distant. They are exiles in their own land. But, but we had hope. But all those hopes and dreams were dead and buried in a tomb. The events of the past few days ending with the crucifixion and burial of Jesus had beaten all of that hope out of them. They thought there was nothing left to do, but we got to get out of town. Get out of Jerusalem, go someplace else. Maybe pick up our old lives, begin again. Turn their backs on all that seemed so expectant and so hopeful and walk those seven lonely long miles back to Jerusalem. Oh, but we had hoped. But we had hoped. So much is said in those four words. They speak to a future that is not to be. A dream that created energy and enthusiasm but didn't materialize. A promise that created faith proved to be false. It speaks of a future that's now closed off and irrelevant and dead. And there are few things more tragic than a dead future. Once challenged to write a short story in just six words, Ernest Hemingway supposedly replied by writing on a napkin, for sale, baby shoes, never used. See, it's not just the tragedy of what happens that hurts, but the gaping hole of all that could have been. All that stuff that could have happened, but now won't. But, Honestly, I kind of love those heartbreaking words. Not because I enjoy wallowing in dark or sentimental emotions, but because those words tell my story. I remember waking up one morning and realizing I was over 40. I was never going to be a rock star, and I probably will never own my own airplane. But really, my life was in considerably worse shape than that worse shape than I could have ever imagined. My job was in trouble. In fact, being employed at the end of the week was not guaranteed. My marriage was in trouble. My children didn't want to come around me. I was very sick emotionally, physically, and spiritually. And everything that I had dreamed about when I was 20 was just this sad memory at 40. 
40 years of bad decisions and self-seeking had led me to a place of incomprehensible fear and pain. And I was standing alone looking into this abyss and asking, how in the heck did I wind up here? Because there was a time that I had hoped. So these two disciples start out heading back home, talking to each other as they went and going over and over all the stuff that had happened Thursday night, Friday night, that long Saturday. Comparing what had happened to what they had hoped for, as if saying it one more time would just change the, how it out, what the outcome would be. And as they're talking, walking along, a stranger meets them on the road, and it's the risen Christ, but their hearts are so broken so devoid of faith that they can't even recognize him. And then the stranger says, what are you guys talking about? And they can't believe that he doesn't know everything that's happening. They're like, dude, where have you been? And so they tell it one more time. They even tell him about the empty tomb and how these women had saw a vision of angels who said that Jesus was risen. But still... They said to the stranger, no one really seen him except these two ladies. So perhaps the women had just heard what they wanted to hear. And when they'd finished their side of the story, the stranger asked them, weren't you guys listening? When he told you all of the stuff that must come to pass, don't you know that from the beginning of time, the prophets have told us exactly what was going to happen this week, that the Messiah must suffer before he enters glory. And then he busts out the book and tells him all, all the things that happened all the way back to Moses. And they're so taken by his words that when they finally reach Emmaus, they say, dude, hang out. Don't go. We want to hear more. And so they invite him to stay. And he agrees, and they sit down to supper, and then this miraculous, beautiful, strange, crazy things happen. A guest in someone else's home, Jesus becomes the host, and he picks up the bread, and he blesses it, and he breaks it, and he gives it to them, and their eyes are open. In that simple, meaningful, beautiful act, something they had seen him do time and time again, their eyes are open, and they know for certainty, not only that this is Jesus, but all that stuff he told us is true. Remember Mary at the tomb? And Jesus spoke her name. He called out her name in the same way he always did with that familiar voice, that familiar inflection. And she immediately knew who he was. For Cleopas and his friend, their doubt, their despair was gone. They were so renewed in faith, so excited and happy that their feet grew wings and they ran all the way back to Jerusalem to tell the others the good news. Love Jesus' reaction. His reaction to the disciples and all the others who deserted him at the end. Who, in the midst of their despair and their disillusionment, chose to take the road to Emmaus rather than stick by his side. One of the most beautiful things to come out of these post resurrection stories is that we learn this about Jesus that no matter how bad things come, become for us, no matter where we go to hide ourselves, when it 
the world is just too much. Even if we lose our faith for a time, he will come and find us. He will come and be with us. He won't ask for explanations. We won't have to justify our position. There'll be no recriminations. He will simply meet us as we walk down this lonely road, our own roads to Emmaus. And that road might be at the shopping mall somewhere where we're buying stuff we don't really want because we're really thinking about that broken, toxic relationship that we can't get out of. It might be in the liquor store parking lot begging God to just give me the strength not to go in the door. It may actually be on the road when we walk off the results of that recent medical test that took us completely by surprise. See, whatever route we take when we're not able to take it anymore, Jesus will meet us on that road. Even though it's us who are running away, he is the one that is faithful. In the words of Barbara Taylor Brown, he comes to the disappointed and the doubtful. He comes to those who don't know their Bibles, who don't recognize him even when he's walking by their side. He comes to those who have given up and are headed back home, which makes this whole story about the blessedness of being broken. And this should not surprise us because Jesus' entire ministry was centered on those of us who needed him the most. The poor, the sick, the blind, the broken. Wherever he could find them, he shared not only his love, but everything else he had until finally he shared everything. His broken body as well. And the wonderful truth of this story is Jesus uses, God uses these things to proclaim God's kingdom. Not only when we're being good and faithful and true, but in our moments of waywardness and faithlessness. Just as he made himself known to the two men walking along the road and then used them to tell his story and the news of the resurrection known to the world, so he comes and stands beside us in our moments of despair, calling out our name, waiting for us to open our eyes and to recognize him, to realize again the truth of his words, to be renewed in faith so that he can use us. In countless ways, Jesus comes among us never demanding but patiently waiting for us to open our eyes and see him. And it may come as we walk along a road, but, or like Cleopas and his friend, it may come when we're here together as a community, breaking bread together. Because he is there. He is here. We have only to be willing to open our eyes in faith so that we can see the risen Christ for ourselves, so we can feel his presence, so we can feel that peace that we've been aching for as they surround us. I have this buddy. He's, he's a beautiful man. His name is Mike. And I've been working with Mike for several months. And Mike's logged a lot of hours on that road to Emmaus. He's an example of meeting the risen Savior on that road. Mike's life was difficult from the very start. 
he was born into a house full of abuse and addiction, and he began running very early in his life. He ran from his addict mother. He ran from his non-present father. He ran to the shelter of drugs and alcohol and lots and lots of different women. And as he grew older, he ran from relationship to relationship. He ran from his wife and his children to the U.S. Army in Operation Desert Storm. He volunteered to be one of the first sets of boots on the ground in 1990 after Iraq invaded Kuwait. And he tells me that the thing he was really running from was that emptiness that he felt inside. The disappointment, the doubt, the disillusionment, the defeat, the despair. And late one night in some girl's apartment, he ran to what he thought was the final answer, a bottle and a gun. And he nearly succeeded in committing suicide, but a team of heroic army doctors saved his life. And somewhere, somehow, in the next several months and 18-plus surgeries, he had an encounter with the risen Lord eyes were finally opened. And he discovered that even in that valley of the shadow of death, Christ was walking by his side. Even when he was running from the pain, Christ was leading him to a place of wholeness and restoration. The other day, Mikey told me, I just have to surrender to the fact that God loves me and there's just nothing I can do about it. Today, God is ready to run back and tell others the good news. He's working with other people in recovery. He carries this message of hope to vets who've come back wounded and hurt and broken. Friends, that's the good news. That's the gift of Emmaus, and the gift of Emmaus awaits us. Our gift is a transforming our brokenness into blessedness. We can experience the restoration and the resurrection of hope. The gift of Emmaus is that very real encounter with the risen Christ among us and within us. Emmaus teaches us that even in our darkest hours, even when we're the least lovable, Christ seeks us out on that road and restores us. And I know today there are probably people here who are hurting and desperate. There are probably people here today that have lost hope and lost faith and lost their ability to love. There are people here today that lay in bed in the morning and stare at that ceiling and wonder, is it even worth getting up? Some of us have done things that we feel are unforgivable and think, well, if there is a God, I'm sure he wouldn't want anything to do with a guy like me. And I know that because I know what that feels like. Because I've been there. I've had days when the skies were black and even the sunlight on my skin felt cold. Friends, the good news of the gospel is we don't have to feel like that anymore. The gift of Emmaus is that Jesus comes and meets us there in our brokenness, in our pain, in our worry, in our grief. Remember what Paul told us, I am absolutely convinced that nothing, 
nothing living or dead, angelic, demonic, today, tomorrow, high, low, thinkable, unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between me and God's love because I belong to Jesus Christ. And what I'm absolutely convinced of is that walking that path to Emmaus, Jesus is beside me even when I can't recognize him. I can embrace the unknown. I can live hopefully. I can get myself out of that bed in the morning. I can take anything that life throws at me because I belong to Jesus Christ. The disciples on that road to Emmaus didn't experience the risen Christ through proof or knowledge or information, but through opening their hearts, opening their eyes, opening their minds to the one who they met. In the breaking of the bread, in the welcoming of strangers, in the opening of scriptures, their lives were changed. And our lives can be changed too. I'm convinced of that. Amen. Let's pray. Loving and gracious God, author and giver of our lives, we know what you want for us is good. We know that you understand what it's like to be human, to be afraid, to be in pain, to be hungry, to be lonely. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God who understands what it's like to be human and you embrace us when we're at our most human. We thank you for the, for the opportunity to come here today together with other people to hear your word and to experience you in a real way. Even when we're afraid and full of despair, think we're walking on that road alone. Thank you for being with us, for holding us up, for being our God and making us your people, through our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.